This historical timeline will be on evolution. Let's get you caught up. You're going to think you know what evolution is based on what you were taught, but just to make sure we're on the same page, I've included two short videos on evolution itself and the origin of the universe. They are about five minutes apiece, really quick and easy. You can watch them and have a baseline of what we're going to talk about. So head on over to historicaltimelines.blogspot.com, watch the videos and follow along for additional media. So we need a starting point. We could probably go back for ages. Let's just start where the science books tell us. Ancient Greece, 600 BC. A man named Anaximander proposes that man came from fish. First, all living things on Earth are related. They evolved from a common ancestor. This is where you see the sea animal walking out of the water and slowly evolving into a human. But on the flip side, you should also see a tree or a flower walking out of the water and slowly evolving into a flower. Because remember, everything evolved from one thing. This is the doctrine of ancient Greek philosophy being taught today and passed off as science. Then around 300 BC, Aristotle develops two key theories, spontaneous generation and scala naturae. Spontaneous generation covers the origin of the universe and scala naturae covers the class structure of living organisms. Where did the stuff that began the universe come from? Well, spontaneous out of nothing and scala naturae provides this structure to be built upon. Evolution requires a more highly evolved species and a more lowly evolved species. And a stratification of more and more complex organisms throughout history. In 200 BC, Epicurus develops an idea that the universe began by chance. Here this harkens back to the Big Bang type of event that just randomly happened and created the universe and all the uniformity and laws that exist in it. From there, we got to jump forward all the way to the 1800s because for 2,000 years, nothing changed in these ideas. They were just accepted. You might ask the question, why? Well, you have these concepts that are completely philosophical and no good way to test them out. Also, you have the Middle Ages in there where Science was suppressed by the Catholic Church. This is also known as the Dark Ages for that reason. The Catholic Church had such an influence on everything at that time that in 1582, Pope Gregory changed the calendar system to more closely mirror the sun. This is where the calendar goes from the Julian to the Gregorian. This also realigns Easter to pull it off of the Jewish Passover. It took a while for that change to happen in England, which then affected the U.S. The change took place in 1752 on September 2nd. Overnight, it switched to September 14th. England also changed their New Year celebration from March 25th to January 1st. Then we get to 1809. A guy named Lamarck develops the use and disuse theory along with the Lamarckian inheritance. So basically what use and disuse is, is when an animal requires a certain characteristic, it will use one more than another 
and the one it stops using will fall away. And then those more used characteristics will be passed on to the offspring. In 1830, a man named Charles Lyell uses the term missing link in Elements of Geology. Also in this book, he describes the changing Earth as an extremely slow process. Then 1859 hits, and Darwin releases his theory of evolution in The Origin of Species. It's built on five basic principles, uh, evolution, common descent, gradual evolution, speciation, and natural selection. Those are the five pillars that make up evolution. Now, if you remember, evolution itself comes from Aristotle. Common descent comes from Anaximander. Gradual evolution is the basic idea of a filibuster. You can't disprove something that happens over such a great period of time. You will see this countermeasure used to keep the theory alive through history. To float his initial theory, Darwin had to initially claim that the Earth was 300 million years old. That same year, 1859, spontaneous generation was disproven by Pasteur and Tyndall. In 1862, William Thompson a.k.a. Lord Kelvin, the guy who made the Kelvin temperature scale, claims the Earth is 20 million to 400 million years old. He made his calculations off of the proposed cooling of a solid Earth. In 1866, Thompson came back with a revised version of his theory claiming the Earth was 100 million years old. In 1874, Ernst Haeckel creates Haeckel's Evolution of Man in Germany. He illustrates the pedigree of man and inserts missing links to make the concept work. The pedigree of man was a illustration of a family tree showing man evolving from other animals. The missing links he inserted in his pedigree of man tree were found to be completely false. He also developed the idea of looking at embryos to determine an evolutionary trail. He had illustrations to go along with his embryonic theory, and that was found to be completely false as well. But this concept is still used today to promote the evolutionary theory. If you watched the video, you saw where he showed a dolphin nose resembles a mammal nose as it's growing in the womb. In 1883, a man named Weissman disproves Lamarck's theories on use and disuse and Lamarckian inheritance. He did this by getting a bunch of mice, chopping their tails off, and then checking their offspring to see if they grew tails. In 1891, Java Man, which is currently known as Homo erectus, was discovered by Eugene Dubois. His great discovery was off of two bones quite a ways apart. He also found these bones while looking for a missing link. Two bones. And here is where you're going to start to notice a trend. All the dinosaurs you see, all the missing link proposals you see, all the frauds you see, pretty much most of archaeology is based on very few actual artifacts. But to sell it to the public, they have to have these drawings and these fleshed out models. And if you look, go into a museum and look at the models they show you and then look at the skeletal structure of the animal. And it usually shows you how many bones they actually were made of. The majority of them are based on a handful of bones. In 1895, a man named John Perry, he was an assistant to Thompson. He claimed that the Earth was 2 to 3 billion years old. 
So what Perry did to get such a different number is he calculated assuming the Earth's core was molten and not solid. In 1897, Thompson recalculates using actual math again and says that the Earth is 20 million to 40 million years old. In 1912, another missing link is found and they name it Piltdown Man. There was a Jesuit priest on the team. They found two bones. In 1915, Einstein publishes his theory of general relativity. Also in 1915, Heckel's theory of the pedigree of man is discovered to be false because there were no actual missing links. He made them all up. In 1917, Nebraska man is found from one tooth. In 1921, Henry Russell says the Earth is between 2 billion and 8 billion years old using recently discovered radioactive isotopes. In 1923, George's Limitry becomes a priest in the Jesuit order. In 1927, Limitry publishes The Expansion of the Universe, also known as the Big Bang Theory. This theory will eventually spawn the Hubble constant, and Einstein will reject this theory. Also in 1927, Nebraska Man is confirmed to be false. And then in 1929, Peking Man is found in China based on a few teeth and skull fragments found in a cave. In 1932, the Big Bang Theory was published in Popular Science. Then in 1933... The Matri published a more detailed and refined version of his theory. In 1937, the Peking Man site is abandoned due to the Japanese invasion of China. In 1938, the Kolknath is discovered alive after being dead for 66 million years. The Kolknath has been found as recently as 2007. The evolutionary theory also has a problem with species that are in a fossil record millions and millions of years old, yet they are also alive today. In 1941, the bones of Peking Man that were found are shipped to the U.S., but they were lost in transit. This was before the time of overnight shipping, tracking numbers, and Amazon. In 1949, a man named Fred Hoyle coins the term the Big Bang on BBC Radio. In 1949, a man named Seuss, and no, it was not Dr. Seuss, he claims that the Earth is 4 to 5 billion years old. He is using radioactive isotopes to date the Earth. In 1951, Pope Pius XII said that the Big Bang Theory validated Catholicism in Humani Generis. So why is that in here? Well, because if the Pope says it at this level, then it is the word of God. So all Catholics have to believe in this feature. If they don't, then they are a heretic, and heresy comes from the word to think for oneself. And centralized religions don't like when someone thinks for themselves. In 1953, Watson and Crick discovered DNA. This is important because... This creates a huge problem for evolution. Don't worry, it gets worse. 1953, Piltdown Man is found to be a forgery from a human skull and an ape jaw. So if we go back and look at these human missing links, we can see Nebraska Man was a fake, Piltdown Man was a fake, Peking Man, they lost the bones, so we'll never know if it was a fake, and Java Man was a misclassified monkey. What further complicates this idea of a slow evolution is there should be billions 
and billions of bones of these intermediate species in pretty densely populated areas because the death rates would be pretty high. So while dragging the time out to filibuster the debate works in one aspect, it also creates other problems because these species have to coexist at some level. It also creates the problem of once you migrate from one species to another, they can't reproduce with each other. So you have to have two mutations that are of the opposite sex to create an offspring. And then you have to start over that entire species from two people hoping that the offspring that is, that is created doesn't die. Mathematicians are starting to figure out that the probability of this happening consistently throughout time is literally impossible. You don't have to take my word for it. Listen to Stephen Meyer explain it with the bike lock. Now, if it turns out that proteins are rare, functional proteins are rare within that space of possibilities, it's going to be very, very difficult to find even a single protein by chance in, for example, the time of the known universe. Let me illustrate this a little more and, and see if you can grasp uh, what, what's what, what drove this development in thinking in Origin of Life Studies. Imagine we've got a bike lock that has 10, uh, uh, 10 digits on each dial and four dials. How many possible combinations are there? Well, we're always kind of tempted to say 10 plus 10 plus 10 equals 40, but of course it's 10 times 10 times 10 times 10 or 10,000 only four dials, but lots of different ways of combining those 10 digits on each dial. Now, my, my uh, graphic designer has made me a hypothetical bike lock with 10 dials. Now, how many combinations do we have? We've got 10 times 10 times 10 times 10. We've got 10 to the 10 or 10 trillion possible combinations. Now, if you're a thief and you want to quickly crack the code on this, a imagine a bike parked out behind the auditorium, and you want to get the, 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 the lock cracked before the lecture's over, do you have a reasonable chance of getting that done without knowing the combination? Not if you've got 10 trillion possibilities to search. A random search is not going to get the job done. And that's essentially the problem that scientists began to appreciate in spades by the mid-60s, that with proteins, the number of possible combinations is so vast and the number of trials you have available so limited, even by, say, a 13 to 14 billion year old universe, that you're not going to be able to search the number of, of possibilities. In a short protein, a hormone or something, where you might have just 10 sites, you have 20 to the 10 possible combinations. That's an enormous number. But what about a modest length protein? About, I've chosen one about 150 amino acids long. That's short. That's not a long protein. It's very modest length. But with 20 possibilities at each site, there's 150, 20 to the 150 possibilities, or 1 in 10 to the 195th power. Now, there's only 10 to the 80th elementary particles in the whole universe. There's only been 10 to the 17th seconds since the Big Bang. In my book, I go through the math, and I take into account all the relevant factors, and I show that, in essence, searching for even a single gene or protein product of that gene by chance alone is not a plausible, is, is not plausible. It's like, the, it's like the bike lock thief in the back there who's now on his 42nd guess out of 10 trillion combinations. He's not going to get it done before the lecture's over. It's, it's always going to be more likely than not that he will not find that combination by chance. 
1955, Einstein dies. In 1958, Crick develops the sequence hypothesis. If DNA created a problem, this created a disaster for evolution. Let's go back and wrap DNA and the sequence hypothesis theory together and sort of talk about them. So DNA confirms that life is based around information and nature doesn't create information. So when you say that a species migrates from one to another, you're saying that information is created because that other species didn't exist. So somehow information in DNA, the language of life, that information, those words are being created out of nothing. So you go back to this spontaneous generation fallback position of, well, it just happened. Um, then the sequencing brings about the number issue, which you heard Dr. Meyer talk about. And there's not enough time in all of history, no matter how old you make the earth to be at this point, there's not enough time to go through to even create one additional species, unless it got lucky. So to go through those possibilities, there's way too much time involved. In 1960, Ramapithecus is found and thought to be a human ancestor. It is discovered to be an orangutan. And then in the 60s, we have what is known as the Cambrian Explosion. The Cambrian Explosion is an issue because in one layer, there are many different highly complex species that appear all at once. We're talking five-eyed crawly things and gooey-looking sluggy things. And these are the actual technical terms for the decimals. But all these different... Um, species are coming out of literally nowhere and the model has no explanation at all for where these things came from. But somehow the evolutionary theory persists. In 1966, Lemaitre dies. In 1974, the famous Lucy is found. Lucy is made up of several hundred fossilized bone pieces making up 40% of a skeleton, allegedly. What makes this sound really weird is that they can tell you what it looked like and the types of food it ate and where it lived off of 40% of a fossilized skeleton. In 1987, UNESCO names Peking Man a World Heritage Site. In 1996, Pope John Paul II told the Pontifical Academy this is the main university of the Vatican. Quote, New knowledge has led to the recognition of the theory of evolution as more than a hypothesis, end quote. So now the Pope has, has codified the Big Bang Theory and evolution. You might be asking yourself, why is the Pope getting involved with science? Well, he's telling the people who teach and learn at the academy what they are going to support in their findings. Sort of like climate science, how there might be data in two different ways, but what gets pushed out is the stuff that supports what they want. It got so bad for Lemaitre that 
he told the Pope to stop making comments about his theory because it was delegitimizing what he was saying because people were saying, why is the Pope an authority on this science when he has no clue what he's talking about? In 2009, a new dig started at the Peking Man site. Now, to date, off and on, over a hundred years of digging, and there have been no complete skeletons found, just small portions of fragmented bones. Also in 2009, scientists are beginning to question Darwin's tree of life. This is coming out of the field of DNA study. They're seeing chunks of DNA shared by certain animals and not shared by others that might be in the same family. It will be interesting to see how Darwin's theory has to evolve again to accommodate these DNA revelations. You can't throw it away. The Pope has already said it is more than a hypothesis. We'll just keep an eye on that. 2015, a new island forms before our eyes, and it didn't take millions and millions of years. On the site, I've included a link to the video that you can watch and see how this island formed over a very short time period. Now, this flies directly in the face of the previous people who said that the Earth formed over a very long time period. So we have actual video evidence of the Earth changing quickly and zero evidence of the Earth changing slowly. You might think, well, that's really obvious and that can't be correct. But this is the same type of scientific method that Lyle and Darwin used to come up with the evolutionary theory. They would postulate a bunch of causes for an effect and then they would slowly eliminate those causes based on what they observed in nature. Then here we are in 2020. We have zero missing links for any species at all, none of them. The Earth is estimated to be 4.5 billion years old, and we still hold up the evolutionary theory as science, even though it cannot explain many of the basic discoveries that have happened, especially in the 60s. This timeline is part of the scientific process. You need to subject theories to scrutiny in order to disprove them. And as you disprove parts, you go back and you revise your theory. Well, with all the things that have been brought up, you sort of see how evolution is given crutches throughout history to rely on. And it's really odd being that it's scientific. Why is it being protected? Why is it propped up as science? I hope the timeline motivates you to question things and find answers.